You're listening to audio from Citizens Church in Birmingham, Alabama. If you'd like to learn more about Citizens, you can visit our website at citizensbhm.com. Part of my job is to go to and be a part of probably more funerals than the average person. And at funerals, there's some common elements. Uh, Most of them have flowers. Usually there's moments of silence and moments of song. Sometimes it's filled with loud cries. Sometimes it's soft sobs. But hopefully people are surrounded by family and friends. And that's what we find here. Jesus dies on a cross on a Friday. It's the Friday of Passover, as Jesus is the true Passover lamb sacrificed for us. But the Jewish leaders, the same one that caused his murder, they demand his body be taken down before families sit down for Passover. The cross is simply too grisly a scene that anyone wants to see. And Jesus was laid in a tomb by Joseph of Arimathea. If you're new to citizens, I can stumble through a pronunciation. Arimathea. He was laying in a small cave, really uh, a rock cut out, kind of hollowed out where you could lay a body, and they rolled a large stone in front of it. Roman soldiers were stationed outside to make sure Jesus's body stayed there so that this religious movement would stay dead with their dead leader. On Sunday, the third day, by Hebrew counting, faithful women followers went to the tomb to complete the funeral in a way. They brought spices like flowers to freshen up the body as soon the decaying corpse, the smell would become unbearable. How they were gonna get that stone moved, how they're gonna get past the guards, maybe they'd get the guards to help them, I don't know. But they came with spices in their hands and tears in their eyes. They fully believed Jesus was dead. Yet when they arrived, things are off. Verse two, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. It's tough to finish a funeral when the body is missing. That is a key element. But they don't start celebrating. It is not apparent what has happened. Rather, they're confused. Other gospels captured their worried anxiousness of who who took the body or what has happened. Verse four fills us in. And while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he, Jesus, told you while Jesus was in Galilee that the Son of Man, a favorite title of Jesus for himself, it's from the book of Daniel, must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day, rise. And just then they remembered his words. The women have the reaction that everyone has when they meet angels in the Bible. Utter terror. It is a moment of sheer terror to meet an angel. Why? Well, we freak out when we unexpectedly see a mouse. If you see a snake in your yard, game over. 
Call the real estate agent, it's done. We'll sell at any price. Or you post it to next door and start a firestorm debate on if snakes are good or bad. So if you all know, it's all too real, all too that real in the neighborhood groups. But imagine with me, you see two men who are not men in dazzling apparel to apparently something is happening and they're angels and the dead body, the Lord you love is gone too. And remember, the Bible tells us we live in a spiritual world. As much as we want to deny it, as much as every book in the world wants to deny it, as much as people want to say, no, we're materialists, it's the here and now, YOLO, we got to live for right now. The Bible says it is an internal realm that we are in and it is a spiritual realm. Angels are so brilliant that folks often mistakenly try to worship them And then the angels always tell people, don't worship me. Stop, stop what you're doing. And the angels inform them, we're not God. We're not deserving of your worship. But here's the truth, church. One day, not too far from today, you are going to meet God. And these angels are just a teeny, 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 teeny sliver of a slice of what meeting God will be like in his full weight, his full glory, his full awe, the fullness of God you will experience and you will be completely overwhelmed. No one's gonna meet the true God of the Bible and stand there proud, doubting his existence or doubting his goodness or doubting his power. We're gonna get dropped just like the people by angels are. It will feel like all the sunrises and sunsets and births of babies and I love you of a thousand lifetimes happening at once. There's not a sense in your body that won't be completely flooded and overloaded. We will meet God. This is a tiny glimpse. And these angels tell them the good news. The funeral's off. Why do you seek the living among the dead? They give us our chant that Jesus is not here, but he's risen. And that the rising of Jesus is not an odd or like a surprise ending, but it's exactly what Jesus foretold. And suddenly the women remember, they remember the words of Jesus during his life that Jesus said this would happen. And Jesus makes many allusions and many mentions of this, but he directly predicts his death and resurrection in the gospel of Luke, both in chapter nine, but I wanna give it to us in chapter 18. This is what the Lord said, Luke 18, 31. Taking the 12, he said to them, see, we're going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written about the son of man, that's Jesus, by the prophets will be accomplished for he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will be beating him with a lead-tipped whip. They will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. But they understood none of these things. The saying was hidden from them. They did not grasp what was said. Jesus had told them, but it wasn't for everyone to understand just yet until it actually happened. Jesus tells them these things must happen just as the prophets of the Old Testament foretold. 
And the prophets of the Old Testament had been foretelling that a Messiah will come, he will bring the kingdom, he will suffer, he will die, and then he will rise. And you can find the sacrificial death and resurrection of the Messiah in prophecies all over the Old Testament. It gets real specific in the books of Isaiah, Hosea, Zechariah, Daniel, Ezekiel, even Jonah is one big story of the power of this resurrection. The Psalms even detail many of the things that will happen. But truly, church, every story of the Old Testament whispers Jesus' name. Every story gives us the elements of this gospel and what's really happening. And you begin to see our God as a God of resurrection. That every story of a woman's barrenness in the Bible that God then blesses with a child is a resurrection. Giving life where it wasn't. Every story of exile in the Bible that ends with a return is a resurrection. A new life and a new start where the story had ended. Every story about certain death where God delivers by his mighty hand is resurrection. Every story of a sinner in the Bible that ends in repentance is a resurrection, giving life where once only death lived. Resurrection is what God does. When Jesus rises, it means victory. Victory over sin, victory over death, victory over the devil himself, that they would no longer rule us. Because Jesus is the king who dies for his people, he also rises to lead us victoriously home. And the Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 that we are most of all to be pitied in this world if the resurrection isn't true. Why? because our entire faith hangs on the fact that Jesus got up. If Jesus doesn't get up, we are not forgiven. Jesus dies for sins on a cross. If he doesn't get up, then payment is not accepted. If Jesus doesn't get up, the devil's schemes have kept him in death and Hades. If Jesus doesn't get up, then we have no hope to resurrect ourselves to eternal life, for death is stronger. Jesus is alive means all that Jesus says is true. That Jesus' view of the Bible as God's very words is true. It means every story of the Bible is true. And even more than true, it's for us to learn and know and our souls to be shaped and grown. Jesus is the assurance that we can trust God. That we're not fools to be pitied but we can live this life even if we suffer triumphantly looking towards a king who's calling us home. Think about this with me though. All of this, Christianity itself could have been so easily stopped. Anybody could have stopped this whole religion, stopped this whole movement in a moment. It could have been a Roman guard. It could have been a Jewish leader. It could just be any casual skeptic. It could have been a child. All they had to do to stop all this in its tracks was find Jesus's dead body. It doesn't matter how many times Jesus appeared to 500 at once and the disciples and the women and all these different people that Jesus appears to, that's all a fraud if they have a dead body. But they didn't find a dead body then. They haven't found a dead body since because Jesus is not dead, 
but he is among the living. Amen? Jesus is risen and risen indeed. The cross is not an accident. And the resurrection is not a surprise. But rather, the cross was Jesus' plan. And the resurrection is Jesus' victory. Let's break down what exactly his victory is. It is that by Jesus' life, suffering, and death, he paid the full cost of your sins on the cross. Every sin deserves death. Every sin is guilt. And Jesus, when he shouted, it is finished from the cross, he meant it. He meant it. It's not, I'm gonna do a lot, so now you do your part. It's not, look how great I am. Now, guilty one, do better. It is, I paid it all for you so you can live forgiven and free following me. Jesus, when he rises, it shows the plan of salvation worked and he literally conquers death and defeats the devil's schemes. That's what a Christian is. It's someone who's crossed from spiritual death to spiritual life following the risen Jesus. Our victories here, but look what happens next. Verse nine, the women head out. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11 and all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, Jesus's mother as well, and the other women, with them who told these things to the apostles. People have been following Jesus a long time, all, all, all three years, two years of his ministry here. But these words seem to them, the disciples, an idle tale, and they did not believe them. Luke takes special time to highlight the faithfulness and affection of these women for Jesus. And this faithfulness leads to the honor of being the first to realize the resurrection. And it's this subtle reversal of Eve sinning in the garden by tasting the forbidden fruit first. But now these women in the garden tomb are blessed to receive the resurrection first. But I gotta be honest, this passage, tough look for the male disciples. Tough, tough stuff. They do not do a great job of listening to the women. There's probably a whole marriage sermon kind of in here, maybe not buried too deep, maybe not buried too deep for me either. Um, tough look for my guys, glow up for the ladies, but tough, tough, cringy stuff. However, if you're a skeptic today, if you're like, man, this is all cool, I'm glad y'all are excited, I'm happy to be here, if that's you, man, Look at how honest the Bible is. The Bible has, this is just a mild cringy moment for the Bible. The Bible is wildly honest about its people, its leaders, its heroes. They all have flaws and failings. Their failings are relatable and easy to see. And every single hero of the Bible is deeply flawed and the Bible highlights it even, except for this one guy except for the true hero, the story in Jesus, the sinless one himself. I bet looking back, the disciples wished they believed the women and took off like Peter, verse 12. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw a linen cloth by themselves. And he went home marveling at what had happened. 
The tomb was empty. The linens were left. Nobody's around. The funeral is canceled. The women told the truth. Jesus has risen and Peter starts to marvel and likely he's thinking back to what all his savior had said. And this is part of the belief, guys, that we take the focus off ourselves, off our sins, because remember, Peter had just denied Jesus three times, and Peter starts contemplating what had all these past three years means, and then he started to gaze, taking it off of himself and putting it on to Jesus. At some point, no matter how guilty or bad or what we've done, belief is taking our eyes from that reality and putting our eyes back on Jesus. And another translation for marvel here is amazed. And that's a good reaction to the resurrected Jesus today for us. Be amazed at what Jesus did. Acts 2 says death could not hold Jesus any longer as God raised him from the dead. John 11, Jesus himself said, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus is not just a key player in our salvation, but rather he is the Alpha and Omega, the author of life itself, the author of all future. 1 Corinthians 15 says death has lost its sting in Jesus, that death is the last enemy to be destroyed and something no longer to be feared. Philippians 1 tells us that to live now is Christ and to die is gain. Be amazed at who Jesus is. Jesus, God himself, born of a woman, Lord of the universe, the only savior of sins. Jesus is not asleep or bored, but alive and awake today. We follow a Jesus who prays for us, leads us, loves us day in and day out. Whether you're up or you're down, Jesus is with you. And Jesus is for you to follow him. You can be assured if you're following Jesus, if your desire is to follow Jesus, Jesus is not only with you, beside you, but also for you to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and spirit. This is our Jesus. So if Jesus is with you, then what do you have to fear? He's the God who rose from the dead. If Jesus is with you, why let shame run your life even for one more day? If Jesus is with you, will you let your past simply be the past? Trust that you're actually forgiven and you have a real hope in a future with the living Lord. Be amazed at what King Jesus will do. One day soon, the King will return. The story doesn't end with the resurrection. That is a taste of the final chapter. Jesus will deliver us once and for all, will resurrect all people, and will judge all people with perfect justice. All who follow Jesus will be declared righteous and welcomed into paradise with God. All who do not will have to face Jesus in all his glory and give account for their life. I want to encourage you today to believe and believe without delay. When Jesus spoke to some amazed but still skeptical men on the road to Emmaus, Jesus said this in Luke 24, 25. And Jesus said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all the things the prophets have spoken. Some of the people there in Jerusalem are the first skeptics. They didn't end up that way or stay that way. 
We even find accounts of the disciples themselves were skeptical to the resurrection at first. But upon seeing Jesus, experiencing Jesus, and God opening their mind to the scriptures, they believed. The disciples would believe so much so that they would leave their former lives completely to go proclaim the gospel of Jesus. And for the most part, they would all end up with gruesome deaths. It would not be this rewarding in a worldly way life, but instead a very painful road to follow the risen Messiah. And in all their torture and suffering, they never recanted the resurrection. Who would die for a lie? Skepticism is celebrated in our culture. But hear Jesus' words. He calls their skepticism foolish when it comes to himself. To be skeptical of political promises, to be skeptical of um, things sold on the internet or on TV or anything on the internet, to be skeptical of thin and fit two-week programs, that's all just wisdom, guys. That's all just wisdom. But Jesus is highlighting that continuing to be skeptical of Jesus has incredible consequences. To believe in him leads to everlasting life. To disbelieve leads to everlasting death. To stay guilty of one's sins. I encourage you to ask God to help you believe. Pray to God to help you believe, and that is a prayer that God will answer because Jesus actually saves. The resurrected Jesus means you can have peace with God. Your guilty sins can be washed away. In Christ, First Colossians 1 promises that we are now at peace with God through Christ you can be forgiven. The resurrected Jesus means you can have power over the sin in your life. You don't have to be a slave to sin any longer. Jesus is greater both than your problems and your patterns of sin. Romans 6 says this, we know that our old sinful selves were crucified or killed with Christ. When you believe in Christ, it kills your old sinful self so that sin might lose its power in our lives. Does sin still remain? Yes, but it's lost its power that now I can choose to follow Jesus on top of it. We are no longer slaves to sin, for when we died with Christ, we are set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know also we will live with Christ. Translation, you are free if you're in Jesus. There is no sin that you can't repent of. There is no sin that you will remain guilty of. There is no pattern of life you can't walk away from. You are alive in Jesus, both now and forever, which means the resurrected Jesus can bring you to paradise forever with God. Just as Jesus told the criminal on the cross in Luke 23, who cried out to him that salvation was him, his that day. We can too have certainty of heaven with Jesus as our future. Because Jesus rose from the dead, we can be confident that we too will rise to life as well. This is my story. I was lost and Jesus found me, saved me, and leads me home. It's Hunter Price's story and baptism soon. It's already a story, but we're going to celebrate it. It's also my friend Sybil's story. 
I met Sybil a few years ago, and we became friends as she started to attend the church where I was a pastor. Sybil was an aunt of a member, and this member had had his life dramatically changed by Christ. He was, is quite a witness. Sybil was in her mid-60s, but looked far older. She'd lived a hard life. She'd grown up in an orphanage herself. She'd lived in a family life and neighborhood after that was plagued by the opioid pandemic for most of it and alcoholism before it. Poverty and violence were just a part of the deal. She arrived at our church with only a vague sense of Catholicism and no understanding of Jesus, the gospel, or resurrection, or any of those things. And after a couple of weeks, she came to me and said, I'm really afraid, Pastor. I said, Sobel, tell me more. What's going on? And she told me that Monday, tomorrow, might be the last day of her life. See, Sybil was sick, very sick. And the doctors had suggested a surgery, knowing her time and options were very limited. A surgery that could bring improvement to her condition and extend her life, but she was in poor health. So they cautioned her greatly and gravely to the real possibility that she may not survive the surgery and recovery. She asked, what should I do? And I told her, I, I can't answer that for you. But I do know someone you can trust. Sybil put her faith in the resurrected Jesus that day for the very first time, simply crying and calling out for forgiveness and putting her faith in Christ alone. She would stay for the next service and worship as if the scales were off her eyes, her demeanor shifted. She was singing worship songs. She was still learning, but she was different. I came to her after service and encouraged her and asked, have you decided if you're going to show up to your surgery in the morning? And she told me, yes, I'm at peace no matter what happens now. Full of conviction. Late that Monday, I would get a call that indeed it was Sybil's last day on earth, that she would pass a few hours after the surgery. As I wept with the member who was informing me, we were also filled with joy as he had accompanied her to the hospital and said she was at deep peace and full confidence with the Savior she was just getting to know. Where does your life need the resurrected Jesus today? Where in your life would the resurrected Jesus' peace, the resurrected Jesus' power, the resurrected Jesus' promise of paradise make all the difference? You can trust Jesus. There is no situation too far gone. There is no hurt too large. There is no brokenness too great for God's power to either change it or empower you to live faithfully in it. Receive the resurrected Jesus today. If you're not a follower, do not delay, do not delay, but believe in the resurrected Jesus. Jesus was dead, then alive. No body was found because he is risen. 
Church, be amazed at the resurrected Jesus.